All right, this is the QTR Podcast. Let's do it. How the hell is everybody today? Happy August. How the hell is everybody doing? I'm so happy to be here. Other than the entire world falling apart and going into shambles, I would say things are going quite well. Other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Things are going splendidly. First and foremost, I want to shout out my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. Thank you so much to everybody that supports me on Patreon, like my dear friends over at JM Bullion, the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. I love these guys. They have been in business for nearly a decade now. They've done over $3 billion in sales. That's billion with a B. They ship their products discreetly. They always have a great selection of inventory. Their prices in terms of their premiums are completely manageable, if not industry leading from my experience. And QTR podcast listeners have their very own representative there. Her name is Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. That is her email address. If you don't feel like navigating the website, you have any questions about buying bullion, maybe for the first or second or third time or the zeroth time, you can always email her. Also, it's just fun to send her an email and say, Laura, we love you guys so much for helping out the QTR podcast and uh, just wanted to send you a note and say have a nice day. So, Check out my friends over at JM Bullion. This podcast also brought to you by my buddy George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George Gammon has joined forces with Lionel Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and many other people with very huge brains to try to help you understand how to preserve wealth in a world of out-of-control central banks. They do this through a series of wonderful live question and answer sessions. They put out incredible insights on the market from an Austrian lens, from a skeptical lens, from a lens that doesn't necessarily buy into, oh, there's the beep. I guess my tea is done. From the, <laughs> from the, it's embarrassing being me. Really, it is. From the, I'm telling everybody, hey, three drink minimum. I'm like, I'm having a green tea. Uh, <laughs> pour it just above boiling point. What does he say in Ocean's 12? So as not to burn the tea. Uh, where was I? George Gammon, wonderful guy. Great forums over there. I love to check out their model portfolios. You can catch me on the Rebel Capitalist forums, and their pro product is well worth it. Speaking of things that are well worth it, my dear friends over at The Steam Room, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, the OGs, which for people that don't know what OG means, it stands for Original Gangsters of Options Trading. Not usually the two things that you juxtapose together, but they are the OGs of following flow in the options world, which is about as gangster as you can get in the world of Wall Street. The Steam Room has been an incredible resource that the two of them have been working on, and it's a wonderful community too. Charlie Bathgate and all the people that share ideas and insights over on the Steam Room to track money in the options markets, which many times can telegraph where equities are going to go. Long story short, money comes into options, and a lot of times that tells you where stocks may or may not be heading. Sometimes it doesn't, but the Steam Room gives you those insights into those types of market dynamics that can really help you out if you're an active trader. And uh, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, two of the best in the game. They've been doing it for a decade now also, they coined the term sweepers. You hear call sweepers, put sweepers. Wall Street Jesus started that lingo. I remember him writing that shit back in 2012. Nobody was using that lexicon. Not me, not you, nobody on CNBC. None of you little fucks. Nobody was. Wall Street Jesus was the only guy out there blazing the trail, blazing the path in the world of unusual options activity. Check out Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus over at the Steam Room. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Doomberg. Doomberg is one of my favorite sub stacks to check out and read. I read everything that they write 
experts, in my opinion, on things like energy, on things like commodities, and just looking at the market from the same lens that we do, which is to say very skeptical, kind of an Austrian tint, and uh, just generally tired of the bullshit and nonsense. All of those links are in my podcast description. All of these people are people that I know and am friendly with. So if you want to try their services before you pay for them, if you have any questions, or if you just want to reach out to them, trust me, they will hook you up. Let them know that QTR podcast sent you. They will make sure you get that free trial, whatever it is that you're looking for. This podcast, as in my podcast, as in me, as in the royal me, meaning all of us. Are you following me, folks? (laughs) I just feeling a little goofy. I just watched Fletch today, which is like one of my favorite movies. And uh, I've been walking around quoting lines from it all day. Who is it? Mr. Cinelinden? Anyways, this podcast has a three drink minimum. I am not a financial advisor in case you haven't figured that out from five minutes of diary of the mouth so far. I hold no licenses, no registrations, generally have no clue what I'm talking about. Don't recommend that anybody does anything that I say or my guests say. We are here for the purposes of open discussion, frank discussion, civil discourse, sometimes uncivil discourse, dick and fart jokes, and all types of things like that. That's why all of us here at Enderby and Friends are happy to welcome my dear friend Andy Schechtman on the podcast today. For those of you that don't know Andy, Andy is... Where the fuck is it? I don't have the... <laughs> <laughs> I just spent... I just tried to pull the, the bio oh, up. He's the president of Miles Franklin Precious Metal Investments. And prior to starting Miles Franklin in 1989, he became a licensed financial planner, my other job, and uh, specializing in Swiss franc investments and alternative investments. Miles Franklin has done over $5 billion in sales, probably more than that since this bio was written uh, and Andy is pretty much in charge of everything. How the hell are you, sir? Uh, Chris, it's uh, good to be back, brother. I'm doing well, thank you. Hope you are as well. I'm looking here to try to figure out what the date is of the last time that you were on, and I have the podcast here. I just don't have the date. It was number 2882, so that's 10 podcasts ago, and I do one about every 10 days, so probably about three or four months ago, so... A lot of things have changed over the last three or four months and uh, sure. wanted to get your take on a bunch of them. Um, so let's get right to it. Um, first thing I want to ask you about is the U.S. and uh, inflation and energy here in the U.S. And, and how the current presidential administration is tackling that issue. You know, I put tackling in quotes because... Uh, they don't really seem to have an actual solution, but they're 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 doing things uh, that that give the sem- give the appearance of them being productive. What, what do you make of uh, gas prices in the country right now? Yeah, you know, gas prices certainly coming down a little bit is something that they can point to as inflation is coming under control. But is it really? I mean, we're still above the price of. Uh, considerably above the price when he took office and yeah it's 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 a little bit better than than it was a few weeks ago but look inflation is uh uh is everywhere and gas is just one of the places go out to go go try to go out to dinner with uh, with your family um and try to get away from you know without even having a cocktail under a hundred bucks yeah go to the grocery store um, you know, pay your electricity bill. Uh, you know, gasoline is just one thing they're pointing to. Look, uh, inflation is 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 rampant, and they keep pointing to um, the the 
the prices of certain things to to give us uh, their opinion on what inflation is doing. But look, inflation is always, always 100% a monetary phenomenon. And the amount of money that has been injected into the system, uh, inflation has a long way to go. I don't think we've we've begun to see the end of inflation. We have not seen peak inflation. But bringing down the price of gasoline by 30 or 40 cents from where it was is, is encouraging, but I don't think it is uh, anything substantive at all. And it's quite frankly, just an effort to uh, get our eyes off the ball, so to speak, for a few minutes and make us think that heading into the midterm that they've got a grip on is it, lowering inflation. Is it encouraging, though? I mean, given given what we're doing, I mean, <laughs> emptying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. There's, you know, I just said they just call it the Petroleum Reserve. There's nothing strategic about what they're doing. They're just throwing, you know, tiny buckets of water at a blazing, you know, forest fire inferno by emptying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is, of course, there for, you know, in case we need it in times of war and things like that. So who knows what price we'll be refilling that at. But you think, you don't think the 9.1% CPI uh, that we posted uh, a month or two ago. You don't think that's the peak? No, not even a little bit. I do not. And I think the strategic oil supply is supposed to be strategic. It's supposed to be used for times of war. Yet why were they selling so much of it to China and to Pakistan? Why were they relinquishing our strategic oil reserves to other parts of the world instead of to us here in the States? So, no, I um, I, I don't think the 9.1% is the peak, not even close to it. In fact, I think the 9.1 is is bullshit as well. You know, the National Bureau of Economic Research just came out with a report recently, and that report um, said that the 13.6% inflation that was quoted in 1980, in June of 1980, if measured by today's metrics, would only be 9.1%. And so, no, I, I think that we're not only are we not at 9.1%, but I think we have a long way to go before... Um, before we see inflation come under control. That's interesting. So measured by historical method, inflation is probably closer to 13 or 14 percent now is what you're saying. Yeah, John Williams of Shadow Stats would say it's even much higher than that. And when you talk about a Fed who's supposedly getting tough on inflation in that respect, I would completely and totally disagree. I would say that to you because the in 1980 with 13.6 percent inflation which would be the exact same tick according to you know the 9.1 that they said it would be is exactly what we're at in 1980 paul volcker got tough on inflation by raising the federal funds rate to 19 and three quarter percent uh that's getting tough on inflation uh we you can tell by their inaction or their lack of action that they are afraid by raising rates at all we're going to blow up the entire system and you can tell by the big money thinks that inflation is, is nowhere near over yet because you see the inversion of the 2 and the 10 on the bond market. The yield curve is telling us that they expect the Fed to pivot. So, no, I think that this is a, a brief respite in one particular area to get us all thinking going into the midterm that things are going to be okay. The, the, the problem that people have, I think, is believing that everything will be okay, just like it always has been, that the Fed will come in and engineer a soft landing for us, just like they always have. And I think this time it's going to be different. Well, let's talk about, first off, let me just ask you one more follow-up, which is the 9.1% number. I mean, those comps will reset heading into next year. And so those are year-over-year comps. Given the fact that those year-over-year comps are going to you know, start to 
become a quote unquote easier because inflation was so out of control this year, you still expect the number to rise above 9.1% just using their bullshit methodology? No, we may see a little bit of a pullback in their methodology, but I don't know if we can trust their methodology. Well, we can't. Um, I, I think, look, the bottom line is this, is that um, the combination of, of rising interest rates and, and contracting bank credit is yeah. as bearish as falling interest rates and the fuel of expanding bank credit were bullish. And so as this begins to happen, you're going to be met with an issue, and that issue is either death by depression or death by hyperinflation take your pick the fed has always chosen uh the root of of least resistance and that is of money uh money creation and 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 lowering interest rates that's what the smart money thinks but i really do believe that the fed is not interested in blowing up this entire system i think the fed uh is going to keep interest rates and and money supply accommodative and i think that they are betting on that the the pivoting the the moving away from the hawkish talk is enough to incentivize on top of all the things that you've been talking about the things that i've been talking about related to the BRICS nations in china to me that's the dirty work right there that's the 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 reset button right there and i don't think that the fed really has any intention of doing what they say I do believe it's a sideshow, it's jawboning, and again, if we look to Volcker raising federal funds to 19 and three quarters and Powell raising the federal funds under the exact same price even though, or the same value even though the price is different or the numbers are different based upon their stupid methodology, raising it to two and a quarter percent and not even really doing anything in terms of quantitative tightening yet like they were supposed to be doing 80 billion a month. I think that they're showing us that they're jawboning. They don't want to be in history books for blowing up the whole system. But I do think the whole system could very quickly blow up with the transition of the loss of the Petro Reserve status, something you've been talking about a lot. Yeah, so going forward, you know, let's just say you have 100% uh, total amount of Fed strategy to allocate. What percentage do you think lands on the scales of recession? and raising rates and what percentage do you think lands on the other side of the scale which is uh, allowing inflation to run a little bit hotter um and you know focusing less I, you know i wrote last week i think probably we're going to see the fed allocate 70 percent of their quote-unquote strategy to uh, the inflationary path going forward meaning what i think will happen is some of the some of the comps will get easier, like we just talked about. It will give the appearance of inflation subsiding, when, of course, real rates will still be massively negative. It'll be enough for the Fed to try and declare some kind of small victory and and at least reduce their hawkish posture a little bit. Um, and, of course, inflation is still going to run super, super hot because the other the other option is, right, like you said, to to crash the markets, to allow the credit markets to seize up. And by the way, I think that's on its way regardless. Um, and to just deal with a serious depression, which they're, they're already criticizing Powell. Elizabeth Warren was already out last week tweeting about how he's crashing the economy. Where do you see that balance going forward, maybe for like the second half of 2022 for the Fed? I think it's very tough. And you can see they're already trying to do it. They're pointing to the, to the decrease in the price of gas. As, as a reason for them to 
uh, maybe ease off the the pedal a little bit on tightening and but yet they can't do it because look they they just can't do it because the minute that they start to raise rates high enough they will blow up the whole system when you got people like elizabeth warren already out there saying we're going to blow up the whole system they, elizabeth warren is missing the point altogether uh, if you go the other direction you lose all credibility and ultimately blow up the whole system as the rest of the world moves away from the dollar and that is something that i've been focusing on completely and totally i think the fed is impotent the fed is damned if they do and they're damned if they don't and so i would believe that they will point to things like the lowering of gas by just a little bit enough reason for them to and i don't know if i want to call it pivot but let's just say ease off the pedal a little bit remember you know they, they've okay so they have uh, uh raised rates a little bit but they haven't even begun to start to quantitatively tighten. They haven't even begun to sell off their balance sheet yet. And when they realize the balance sheet is filled with mortgage-backed securities and government treasuries, the act of selling those or just letting them run off will will start to raise rates enough to put serious strain on the markets. And when you realize that stocks, bonds, and real estate are all inversely correlated to a rise in rates and coming off of all-time highs, when you see that a raise from from zero to two and a quarter has, and really that's not even fair. It's more or less saying that a 75 basis point rise has has doubled the mortgage rates. Uh, they're already entering that, that very murky zone. I believe the Fed will not um, do much to blow up the markets. And the minute they do, the minute the markets start to crack based upon their rising of interest rates or selling off of their balance sheets, I think they'll ease off the gas. They'll pivot. And at that moment, they have lost all credibility globally. We are already at that point where I think we're walking a razor's edge, and it's really difficult, I think, to land on either side. Well, I think if that situation happens, as you put it, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, too, I think that's one of two major catalysts that I see for gold. I think if the Fed makes it clear that, you know, they're going to pivot, and specifically if they do it because the market crashes, that's going to be everything people need to see. I think gold goes through 2500 in probably two weeks' time after that, and I don't think it ever looks back. But we'll, let, we'll touch on that in a second. I want to go mm-hmm. back to uh, something we just talked about, which I can't remember. Just give me one second. <laughs> what the hell was it? We were talking about uh, the – oh, yeah, the credit markets. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that three-second brain fart there, uh, which I'm not going to edit out of the podcast. And those will get worse, by the way, too, as I get older progressively <laughs> on the podcast and I subject my brain to more Paps Blue Ribbon. Those those times where they will space out longer. But the point is, here's what I think. Here's what I wrote about last week. You know, we went from zero basis points to 225 basis points over three years leading up to 2018. The markets then, mm-hmm. you know, crashed pretty unceremoniously in December 2018. They couldn't handle it. Everything, you know, the uh, it's like when you watch those slow motion videos of a tractor trailer. You know, the front hits hits the car in front of it, and then you kind of see the uh, the 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 actual trailer start to compress behind it mm-hmm. in slow motion. Right, the the trailer finally caught up to the front of the uh, to the front of the truck in December 2018, and the market finally puked. And said, "Okay, you know, two and a quarter percent. We can't do this. There's too much debt. 
Um, you know, and, and once that psychology starts to get in a little bit, the market starts dumping, people start realizing, all right, you know, there's a deleveraging that's about to happen here. Um, forget it for equities, like it's over. And so what I was talking about in 2018, uh, last week about 2018 was the fact that, you know, we had three years for those quarter basis point hikes to just progressively, 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 you know, rates moved up very slowly, over the course of 36 months. Now what we're doing is we've moved rates up the same amount in five months, and they're talking about future rate hikes of 50, 75 basis points, they're saying after the jobs report now. So the question is, you know, in my opinion, it feels like we're hitting the wall traveling at 150 instead of 100 this time, and that the shock is going to be that much more profound. And the fact that the market has held up here momentarily uh, in the interim, and even we're even getting this little bear market rally here, this little relief rally over the last couple of weeks. To me, it still feels like, you know, there's a very grim reality coming to credit markets, and it's going to surprise the fuck out of people because it's going to be 225 basis points quick, not not 25 basis points at a time over three years. What do you think? Well, look at the amount of debt that's increased in the past since since that 2018 shock. If we weren't able to handle 3% rates, what's going to happen now when you look at since 2018, you have seen since that period of time, more money has been created than in the entire history of the country before 2018. You're looking at a situation where just... there's been a ma massive increase of credit. There's been a massive increase in the Fed's balance sheet. If we couldn't handle it then, and the debt burden is exponentially higher now, as is the money supply uh, uh, or the valuations of all the assets that have been blown up since that point, what's going to happen? I think it's going to be exponentially worse. I think you're exactly right on that. And if you look at the one chart that I've been kind of pushing around, courtesy of my, uh, my fine feathered friends over at Zero Hedge, is this personal savings rate chart which is now at a low that we haven't seen since and i'm going back to 2000 and late 2009 is the last time we saw the personal savings rate this low okay so we saw this massive injection of liquidity right and you can see the personal savings rate spike in march of 2020 it goes from about seven and a half percent to almost 35 percent Right. You see this enormous, enormous spike in the personal savings rate. Well, that is over. The stimulus days are over. The cutting checks and the unemployment bonuses are over. So at the same time that the market has to deal with these rate hikes, consumers are the least prepared to kind of defend their financial uh, footing. You know, the, they, they have the smallest war chest possible uh, in the last 14 years here to, to try to deal with it, which means that it's going to be that much more dire, right? Yeah, of course, absolutely. And if inflation continues, that, that savings rate will become negative very, very soon. You look at the expansion of the credit card debt at the exact same time, it's gone up exponentially. And when you look at what the the you know, it's interesting when you look at it from that perspective. We got the stimulus. People were paid to sit home and eat bonbons and play video games. The lack of production and the increase in the money supply is pretty much textbook what you would call 
inflation, an increase in the money supply with a decrease in production. That is inflation. That is going to to create an issue because that blowing up of the money supply, that increasing uh, tremendous amount of credit uh, found its way into the equity markets right. that are inversely correlated to a rise in rates. But let, let's talk about that for one quick second. Let's talk about credit. I don't think people quite understand that when you see a massive contraction of credit, what that can actually mean. Let's take a loaf of bread for an example. How much credit is used to get a loaf of bread to the store? Well, let's start the farm field. The, the, the farmer is on credit to buy his million-dollar combine, the diesel fuel, and the seeds to plant and plow the fields. Uh, once it's harvested, he, he uh, loads it all up and gives it to a trucking company who's on credit to pay for their 18-wheelers uh, and, and the trailers and, and, and all of the expenses that go along with hauling farm goods to the um, to the uh, to the grain silo who you know who, who's on uh, uh, credit to hold that and to to store it on behalf of the co-op on behalf of the farmers who then give it back to a to a, uh, a trucker again that same trucker who's on credit who brings it to you know to the baker who who's on credit who makes the bread he's got to pay for his stuff and then gives it back to the trucker who brings it to the grocery store who buys it on credit i mean you got so many hands so much credit touching all of these things just to bring something as simple as a loaf of bread to the grocery store nowadays that when you see this massive contraction in credit which is always followed after always follows a massive expansion in um Mass, mass, massive expansion of credit is always followed by a massive contraction of credit. And when that happens, when we get to that point, Chris, I think you're going to see price inflation go to the moon because a lot of people are living day to day, not just personally, but also corporate businesses are living day to day on credit. And I think that's one of the things that you're going to see really start to rein in. And that's when things start to get crazy. When that's why I think you haven't even begun to see the end of price inflation yet, because that money supply is not going anywhere. And I think when things really start to get tough, not only in the markets, but in the economy, uh, the Fed has no choice but to reverse course and pivot, reaccommodate, put more money into the system, lower their interest rates. And at that point on a global scale, I truly do believe we've lost any and all credibility. And I think I have... In my gut, I believe the ball is already in motion, that the big money around the world already sees this, and they have something in motion right now I'd love to talk about that, and I'd like you to try to poke holes in it, that I really do think is, is going to do the work for the Fed. And I think the question that I've been asking everyone is, is, is the actions of the Fed, the actions of weaponizing the dollar and kicking Russia out of SWIFT, are the consequences that are going to come of this intended or unintended? And to me, that's the only question I've yet to be able to figure out. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know where you're coming from, and I want to hear your case. But, you know, I think that they're going to be unintended. I think we are going to die. You know, our, our economy and our currency will die by our own sword. You know, there, there's a, any time of recent I've been asked, and I was just talking to Palisades Gold Radio about this, any time of recent I've been asked to figure out whether or not it's one big nefarious 4D chess game scheme by the central banks or just plain being dumb, 
Uh, I hate to uh, I hate to say it, but I've been siding with. I just don't think that they get it. I really, you know, I think that there is a good majority of them that think that they're doing the right thing. You know, they see something like Russia go into Ukraine and they come up with a one-dimensional answer, and you know, the uh, the the likeliest. Uh, answer the first thing that comes across their brain, and that's what they do. You know, it's the same thing that they're doing with oil and price fixing, right, which is coming. They're going to try to fix the price of oil. Why? Because it's a good idea? No. Objectively, it's a terrible idea. It's going to have the opposite uh, of what it's intended to do, but it's the first thing that comes up in, you know, a a brain with a double-digit IQ. It's like, oh, prices go up. How do I stop that? I put a Put a limit on prices. Can't go any higher than this. Like, problem solved. And then they think, like, I'm doing something. This is why I got elected, you know? I'm smart. It's horrifying. I don't really know how to describe it. Well, you know, I I guess there is a certain amount of ineptitude that is built into the system. I understand that. But when you take a step back and you realize that there has to be someone with enough sense to realize that when you blow asset prices up, to all-time highs when you have the largest debt burden really in human history factored against the lowest interest rates in human history that at some point that bar tab needs to be paid and what happens to the whole system when that tab is paid and maybe just maybe they realize that we've milked as much out of the system as humanly possible and now what do we want to fall on the sword or do we want to find a villain when you look to the way that they they blame Putin for inflation. Putin has nothing to do with it. Again, Milton Friedman told us that inflation is always and only a monetary event. Right. You add into it a decrease in productivity. There is your inflation. You look at Putin. He has nothing to do with inflation. You may exacerbate the supply chain issues, which can increase price, price inflation. But they're looking for a villain. So I'll tell you where I'm coming from. And I, you know, I. I I'd like your take on it, Chris, because I think you're the only person out there. And I sent you an email about this last week when I read your piece on China. You are the only person out there that I know of that is speaking in a similar vein that I am. And and that is not focusing as much on the Fed, but focusing more on what the world is doing towards de-dollarization. Now, a lot of this I spoke to you about in previous in our previous podcast, but I haven't really put these things together with you and i'd like i'd like your take on it if if you think we have a few minutes to go down that rabbit hole well we do i I mean to me it's just a question of looking at the big picture right china and russia both started purposeful de-dollarization efforts over the last decade that's not new i'm not bringing anything new to the table the data is out there the reports have been written on it go look at you know a lot of the metals news sites wrote about it. And there have been looming questions about the amount of gold that China holds in reserve for the last decade. Many people think that they are disclosing far less than what they actually have. So that's not new. And then you just, you know, it's just a question of looking at all of the recent global events, the, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine at a point when the U.S. is at having this inflationary crisis with an inept leader, um, and Russia saying, you know, fuck you guys, we're going to take Ukraine and there's nothing you can do to stop us. Us coming up with the worst possible solution, which put a dent in the ruble for, you know, about 12 minutes before it bounced back to all time highs. Once the rest of the world realized that Russia has, you know, like China, has productive capacity and commodities to fall back on. 
Um, and, you know, Russia said, fuck it, give us give us your best shot. You know, like we, we've got gold and we've got oil. And so we'll use that to defend our currency and, you know, kick us off the SWIFT system and take the McDonald's um, and we'll get by. We'll be OK. And so it's a question of whether or not those things you think are being done strategically at uh, calculated times or whether or not this is just one big chain of coincidences. And, you know, I can't help but string along the facts that, you know, both of these countries have been working to actively de-dollarize. You know, both of these countries have allied themselves with each other now that the West has put pressure on them economically. So China said, we'll buy your oil, we'll buy your strategic assets. Russia says, we'll do business with China. We'll, you know, we'll get a lot of our imports from China. China says, we'll get our oil from Russia. You know, India's involved. Everybody's kind of helping each other out. They come out and collectively announce that they're going to be working on a global reserve currency together, the BRIC nations. Again, not conspiracy theory, not breaking any news. This was in, in the news in late June. And by the way, when I published on it in early July, you would have thought I broke the story for the first time because the reaction I got, holy shit, you have to read this. I'm like, motherfuckers, this story's been out for two <laughs> weeks. Like, you motherfuckers need to pull your heads out of the sand. So it's a, yes. it's a question of whether all of these things happening are a coincidence or whether it is an active yes. effort to bifurcate the global economy and it's a stance being taken by China and Russia together to say, you know what? You guys are $30 trillion in debt. You got a dollar that's not going to be worth a shit. Same with the euro. You know, you need our goods to get by. Russia, you need their oil. Us, you need our fucking Chinese party favors and all the other wonderful bullshit that, that they ship over to the port of L.A. on a daily basis. Good luck. Let's see where the cards fall. And that's what I think is happening. And to me, that paints a picture of a serious, calculated, thought-out challenge to the United States, to the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency, and the beginning of what I think is going to be a new Cold War that is going to be fought economically and on the Internet through, you know, cyber means. Uh, a new Cold War that's going to be completely different than it was in the 70s. And this is this is those two countries. You know, I'll let you in on something. I was starting to write an article. Maybe it'll be published by the time this podcast comes out about, you know, basically called crying wolf when it's the right thing to do or crying wolf when it's time to cry wolf. And, you know, there's people like you and me, we get a lot of shit for going around and talking about these different types of scenarios and, you know, a oh, broken clocks right twice a day. And you guys have been hawking gold and silver forever. And it's nothing's ever going to, you know, dethrone the dollar and blah, 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 blah. You've heard it all. I've heard it all. Our listeners have heard it all. But at some point when it happens, we're going to be right. And this feels like it's happening. It feels like it's yes. happening right now. And very much like COVID, Andy, it feels like we're going to wake up one morning and the rest of the world will have finally caught on. Wow, something big is happening here and has been happening. And then it'll be, you know, a couple weeks of finger pointing and the government will come up with the worst possible solutions for it. And then we'll be on the path and everybody will be in the know to what it is that, you know, I'm postulating now. So your email to me uh, a couple weeks ago, basically saying, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this the same way as you. Now, I'd love to hear your insights on it. Dude, I, I love the way you just said that because we're so parallel. 
on so many things. And before I, I go down this rabbit hole with you, let me ask you a question as it pertains to everything you just said. Do you think Klaus Schwab and his comment, the Great Reset, do you think that's possible? Do you think that's intertwined into what you just said just a little bit? It sure. Because I have my own take on that. It sure feels like it. It sure feels Good. like, you know, I used to laugh at the Soros, Schwab, uh, Gates conspiracy theorists. You know, I used to I used to crack up about it. And I was like, yeah, it's a little too much. You know, the, these guys, uh, you know, a couple global elite kind of pulling the strings. Now I feel like it's becoming it's just happening. I don't even know if they intended it to happen or not. And I don't really care. Like, it's just happening. You know, the inflation in the United States is actively stripping people of their personal property. I mean, whether or not they know it or not, I mean, that's a function of prices going up as you have less and your quality of life, you know, gets lower. All Everything, uh, you know, now going to uh, as a service subscriptions, you know, you want to ride a bike in the city, you have to pay monthly to have access to a community bike. You want to, you know, get somewhere from point A to point B, you pay monthly now for a subscription to be able to, you know, use this, that, and the other, you know, restaurants are starting to do it with, with seating. Oh, you get one active thing, uh, you know, a month. If you want to come in and pay a certain fee, the fucking car wash next to me does it, you know, 1999 for unlimited washes. Now everything is moving to an a subscription as a service at the same time that everything is getting too expensive and people are, you know, whether they know it or not, they're being stripped of their wealth. They're being stripped of their purchasing power. And as a function of that, they're being stripped of their personal property. And so you have people, you know, moving back in with their parents because they can't pay rent. And this is something I was just discussing the other day. I have some close friends that there's two of them. They both work jobs. They have a kid. They can't afford to pay the fucking rent. And like, you know, okay, go ahead. So go ahead. That's exactly what I'm talking about, dude. A hundred percent. I mean, look, we look at the world the exact same way, I think. But I'd like to take you down the rabbit hole. And I'd like you to, uh, because I think you're going to see it's very similar to what we're talking about. What you're talking about. I just try to connect the dots of several things that have happened. And and, 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 and look, when, when Klaus Schwab came out in 2019 and said there's going to be a great reset, I thought the guy was an idiot. But I'm going to ask you, and I don't want you to answer, because I know you know what the answer is. But I want people out there to think about this, because many of the things like what you just said is, is exactly when I gave a speech at Rick Rule's conference the other day. When I started it out, I said, I'm going to make some statements and I bet none of you have heard much of this stuff yet. Where has your head been? And I guess it's because the media does a horrible job of telling us what's really going on. But there are certain signposts along the way that when you put it together, you see a map that's leading right to de-dollarization town. Right. And I, and, I, and I want people to try to put these together and then ask themselves, how much of this stuff do I know? And then go and Google these things that I'm talking about and, and be freaked out for yourself. So... The question that I'm going to ask your, your viewers or your listeners out there is what makes the dollar the world reserve currency? Now, most people don't really know that answer. I ask people I talk to every day, do you know what makes the dollar the world reserve currency? Nobody ever knows. And look, it used to be pegged to gold. And at the end of World War II, the, the agreement was made between uh, the U.S. and the rest of the world that we said to, to the governments of the world, 
listen, you can always exchange your dollars. We'll be the world reserve currency. You can exchange them for gold at a fixed rate of $35 an ounce. And this is the reason we held most of the world's gold, because countries were holding uh, gold that earned no interest and cost money to store. They would give it to us. We would pay them 35 bucks an ounce for it. They would in turn buy our treasuries, earning a rate of return. Then they could always exchange their dollars for gold. It was a good deal for them at a fixed rate in an honorable world and, and in a fair market. It's a great deal. Well, towards the end of, night, towards the, end of the uh, Vietnam War, President de Gaulle from France called us on that, realizing that we had printed more dollars to fund the war and issued more treasuries to, to uh, expand our economy than we had gold backing it. And so he sent warships filled with dollars to New York Harbor demanding return of gold, and he got it bled half of the gold down nearly at the U.S. Treasury, and they closed the gold window. Nixon did in April of 19, August of 1971. And it was at that point the dollar was backed by nothing, fiat. But it was three years later that Henry Kissinger flew to Saudi Arabia and worked out an agreement. Uh, hey, we will uh, protect you. Let's call it a joint military cooperation agreement. We will protect you. We'll provide you munitions. And for that, OPEC will denominate oil globally in U.S. dollars. And that gave the, the, the dollar its world reserve status, once again, being backed by oil. Every country in the world needed to buy dollars, creating the synthetic demand for the dollars in order to buy oil. It gave it the name, the petrodollar. And it has been this way since 1973. Um, and, you know, the deal in essence was we're going to sell you uh, military equipment. We're going to defend the Saudi kingdom. And in return for that, you're going to denominate oil in U.S. dollars globally. And, and that that really is why the dollar is the world reserve currency. Correct. Okay. So, so let's look at a couple of things. And I'm going to make an I'm going to make a, uh, a statement. Let's call it a, a declaration as we go through this, that the Fed will not get on tough on inflation. Because remember, we said that the, the 9.1 inflation would actually be 13.6%. At that time, when 13.6% and higher inflation in 1980, Volcker raised the rates to almost 20%. He got tough on inflation. We go to 2.25%. We ain't getting tough on anything. We will blow up the system. All right. There's my two premises. Dollars world reserve currency because we protect Saudi Arabia. Uh, the Fed, who has blown up asset prices way too high, uh, will not get tough on inflation. They don't want to be in history books. So let's go down this little road, and you tell me where you think uh, you think if this is leading to the same place I do. So uh, some of these things we may have talked about briefly in previous interviews, but in 2017 we saw something very interesting, and that was the German Bundesbank out of nowhere made a very big deal on repatriating their gold from the New York Fed. It was all over the Internet. Give us back our gold. Give us back our gold. Within a few weeks of that happening, the Bank of Austria, the Bank of Turkey, the Bank of Hungary, the Bank of Poland, the Dutch National Bank, the Bank of Austria, the um, uh, many of the other European banks, all of the Eastern European banks, they all said to the Bank of England, to the New York Fed, give us back our gold. We want our gold back. And this was really unusual in 17 because this is when cryptocurrencies were taken off and gold wasn't doing much of anything. The next year, in 2018, those same banks, after being net sellers of gold for the previous decade prior, uh, accumulated more gold than they did in the 60 years previously combined. So they're repatriating their gold from the Bank of England and the New York Fed. They're copiously accumulating it. 
buying more so than in the previous 60 years combined. And then the next year, 2019, they doubled that up 100%. Within a few months of those purchases, the Bank of International Settlements, this is peg number one. This is tier number one, the first biggest event of my career, the first signpost in where I'm going, and that is the BIS, which is the central bank or central bank, reclassified gold as the world's only other tier one reserve asset. Now, this is a big, big deal. Media never talked squat about it, but you can go back and look from March of 2019. Uh, you'll see that the BIS reclassifies gold on March 31st, 2019 to the world's only other tier one reserve asset. Now, most of the people in my industry thought it would be a special drawing rights from International Monetary Fund, which is nearly 200 countries that would contribute to make a new currency to, to shore up the, the ills of the world reserve currency. But that never happened. Instead, they levy gold to a tier one reserve asset, which is equal to cash. The U.S. dollar and the U.S. Treasury have been the only tier one reserve assets by central bank standards since the end of World War II. And out of nowhere, after almost 80 years, oh, by the way, let's add gold. All right, so gold is the world's only other tier one asset. The next year, 2020, we see lots of things happening, right? We see the BIS, or excuse me, the IMF, 100, 195 countries from around the world publicly declare they want a new Bretton Woods. They want a new system. They're sick and tired of the system based upon debt. And that was on their website. We see lots of other things happening. But signpost number two uh, in this road to de-dollarization is the Belt Road Initiative. Most people in this country have never heard of it. And that is maybe, I don't know, it's a crime that they haven't heard of it. And, and it's something that I think will have a profound effect on all of our lives in the years ahead. This is China's attempt at connecting Asia, Africa, and part of Europe, the old Silk Road route. This is the largest infrastructure project in human history ever attempted. It's connecting 75% of human population. It's 45% of global GDP before industrialization. It's connecting these countries by bridges and roads and railways and maritime channels digitally as well when we think about the need for silver 75 percent of human population will need to be connected digitally this is huge for silver but it's bigger for the de-dollarization when you realize it's 75 percent of human population and it's all settling on the new chinese digital yuan i'm going to get to the significance of this in a moment now these roads and these bridges and these maritime channels they will not be patrolled by anything other than military and commerce this is the Panama Canal on steroids, and the United States is uh, very conspicuously not part of it. And uh, this is a very big deal, right? And, and I think this is signpost number two in de-dollarization. Signpost number three that no one seems to know about may be the biggest event in all of our lives, and yet our media does such a horseshit job of telling us what's really important, Chris, you're the only one who talks about this stuff, and I give you credit for it, and that's why I sent you that email. And that is the, the linchpin of the dollar hegemony is the protection of the Saudi kingdom. The day we left Saudi Arabia, or excuse me, uh, Afghanistan with our tails between our legs, leaving in what I believed was the most embarrassing moment north of Nancy Pelosi tearing up Trump's uh, State of the Union, that is leaving Americans behind enemy lines. The country that I grew up in would never have ever thought that was possible. And you leave Americans behind enemy lines in a very hostile environment, leave our allies who, who fought for us, died for us, behind right. those same enemy lines, right. was deplorable, horrible. The day that happened, there's no coincidence. You go back and you Google August 24th, 
2021, you will see a report on Google that Saudi Arabia signs a military cooperation agreement with Russia. Now, let me say that one more time slowly. Saudis sign military cooperation agreement with Russia. What makes the dollar the world reserve currency? The protection of the Saudi kingdom. Oh, Russia's now protecting the Saudi kingdom as well. And guess what happened the day after that? Nigeria and Russia signed military agreement. This is another massive OPEC-producing country. So now you have Russia protecting not only Saudi Arabia, but another massive cog in the OPEC machinery. The day after that, Russia comes out in an article on Zero Hedge, who I know you're close with. They publish everything that you do. And uh, you can find it on Zero Hedge, an article that says uh, Russia announces all nuclear-powered submarines contain hypersonic ICBM missiles. This is uh, Putin's way of saying, don't fuck with us, don't even think of fucking with us the way you did Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi, both of which who threatened to sell their oil for anything other than U.S. dollars. Things are getting really, really, really crazy, as you note, right? So, you know, uh, you are seeing not only a drive of global um, uh, trade routes and, and infrastructure being built superseding the dollar at this point, you're seeing gold reclassified on par with the dollar as the world's only other tier one asset. And now you're beginning to see the petro status start to wane. Well, it gets worse than that. If we look at number three biggest move, uh, biggest uh, road sign in all of this, it is the weaponizing of the U.S. dollar kicking Russia out of SWIFT. Now, this is the, the question that I was asking you. Is this intended or is this not intended? Because you have to be an idiot to not understand what's about to happen. By doing so, by weaponizing the dollar as the world reserve currency, it is not our business to say who can and who can't use it. It's right. not our job. And all that does is undermine the credibility of the currency itself, right? This should be for global opinion, not for the U.S. Sure. So in any case, we kick Russia out of SWIFT directly into the open arms of the Chinese who have the SIPS system, the cross-interbank payment system, which mirrors the SWIFT, directly into the, the coalition of the BRICS nations, right? So you're talking about Russia and China now, at this point, are doing trades in, in, uh, in energy for not only the Chinese digital yuan, or excuse me, the uh, Chinese petro yuan bond, uh, which is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange, by the way, where Russia sells oil, Iran sells oil, Nigeria sells oil. They have agreed to sell their oil to China for the for the uh, petro yuan bond. As Saudi Arabia said, they're negotiating it. When they say that publicly, they're doing it. All of these countries are selling their oil to China for a yuan-denominated bond that is immediately convertible into gold in the Shanghai Gold Exchange. This is how they all sidestep sanctions. Anyways, it's getting more and more. It's starting to speed up. You see the India-Iran North-South Corridor, which is it, it, it's safe passage from India all the way to Russia past Iran. Uh, these are uh, very uh, exclusive trade routes. Everyone else has to go around the Strait of Hormuz. You see India come out. We're their largest trading partner. India says we're going to do um, domestic trades in rupee now for imports and exports, not in dollars. You see the BRICS nations come out and say Saudi Arabia and Turkey to join BRICS soon. What did they just say? Saudi Arabia is going to join the BRICS nations. That's in an article published July 14th. This is what you were talking about. Everyone says, what the hell? What are you talking about? The dollar hegemony 
is right about ready to break when you realize Saudi Arabia is moving into the BRICS nations, Egypt and Turkey as well. Do you really think that our president, who can't even hardly tie his shoes and say, say three words cohesive at once, is going to fly to Saudi Arabia when he hasn't even been to the Mexico-Texas uh, border to ask for more oil when we're trying to destabilize and ruin their way of life going completely green? Of course not. He went there to beg them not to join BRICS, but I would argue when they say BRICS expects them to join it soon, it's already done. What makes the dollar the world reserve currency? The protection of the Saudi kingdom, who is now going to join the BRICS nation. And what did we see a day or two later, uh, 10 days later, July 14th, Russia and China are brewing up a challenge to dollar dominance by creating new world reserve currency. They not they came out and publicly said, we are issuing a new BRICS reserve currency. Yep. And is Saudi Arabia part of that yet? How about Turkey? Looks to ditch dollar and payment for Russian energy. An article on July 20th. Um, when, when you put all of this together, you see a trend. That trend, when you put all of these countries together, Brazil, Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa, Iran just joined, Venezuela just joined, Turkey's going to join, Saudi Arabia's going to join. All of the Eastern European countries that I told you about that repatriated their gold, most of them, Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland, uh, Turkey, these countries, they're all part of the European Union, but they all trade their own currency. They don't use the euro. They're all copiously continuing to accumulate gold. They're all going to break away from the Western system. So let me tell you how it all happens. How do you get the Great Reset? How does all of this happen? I'll tell you exactly how. You blow assets up after you get COVID. You blow assets or you blow prices up to all-time highs by injecting more money in the country in three years than it has printed in its entire history prior. You keep interest rates low where you incentivize big funds to borrow money at next to nothing and put it into assets, stocks, bonds, real estate, everything. Blow them up to all-time highs. They can pay off those loans without even blinking an eye. Make huge bonuses from their commercial banks. Drive the prices of everything sky high. And then what? You incentivize Russia into... Um, finding a back door by weaponizing the dollar and everyone else look at china they've sold a hundred billion of our, our bonds in the last six months and their eyes are on taiwan you think they'll ever buy our bonds again if they're thinking are we next are they going to freeze our assets are they are they going to sanction us no they're not and so here's how it happens all it takes all it really takes and i'd like your comment on this is for saudi arabia who's now being protected by russia Nigeria, who's now being protected by Russia, is part of the Belt Road Initiative, so also being protected by China. The, the Russia-China relationship never has been stronger. The BRICS coalition has never been stronger. Now Saudi Arabia joins BRICS and says, thanks for the memories, guys. Yep. It's, been, it's been great, but we're now going to issue oil globally in rupee, in ruble, in gold, in euro, okay, and in dollars, too. And if you remember that every country on the planet Earth has had to own dollars to buy oil for the last 50 years, when this admission happens, and I believe it will happen on a Sunday night here in the United States, Monday morning, all of the leaders of the BRICS nations will be arm-in-arm arm with their arms around each other saying, we have now issued a new world reserve currency, which they already did. You got the success of the Chinese digital yuan, a yuan who's done 20, almost $20 billion in sales successfully, starting in the Winter Olympics for the past few years on the Belt Road. And I think they will all use the success of this new distributed ledger technology and issue a new BRICS currency. It'll be a digital currency. The question is, do they peg gold to it? Because remember, gold is 
been reclassified a tier one asset. Why did they do gold? Why not the special drawing rights? Why gold? Who are the biggest producing countries in the world of gold? The RICs and BRICs, Russia, China, India, and oh, South Africa as well. Russia, China, India, South Africa, you throw Brazil in there. Now you've got all of these other countries that are joining, Venezuela and, and, uh, and, and Iran and Saudi Arabia. And all of these countries are accumulating gold. Are they going to peg it to gold, to a new world reserve currency denominated in, uh, or excuse me, uh, backed on the new success of the Chinese digital yuan? Are they going to do that? Or is that going to come after Saudi Arabia says we're going to issue all of these, these you know, we're going to sell oil in all these currencies. But what happens? Here's what happens. Every currency on the planet starts to dump dollar. Every country on the planet starts to dump dollars. Why do they dump dollars? Because they don't need to buy oil with it anymore. They've had to hold it as the foundation of their currency forever to buy oil. Now they don't have to, and they can use other currencies. So as they start to dump dollars, the dollar becomes a hot potato. By Monday morning, you have a flood of dollars as every country is racing, just like in uh, in trading places. Sell, Mortimer, sell. They're going to be telling them, sell, sell, sell. Everyone's dumping dollars. The dollar comes home and it's collapsed, right? There's pillar number one, the dollar crashes. When the dollars come home, it creates massive hyperinflation, much worse than what the Fed has any intention of fighting, right? So hyperinflation, what happens to interest rates? Does the dirty work directly for the Fed? Interest rates spike to the moon. What happens to stocks, bonds, and real estate? They vaporize in a matter of minutes. So when you talk about the Great Reset and you see the moving away from the dollar, when you see that what is basically happening is almost 90% of human population, when you factor in the Belt Road Initiative is 75%, and that's just China and Africa, you throw in the rest of the, the countries that are part of this, um, you're talking the majority of the human population on this planet is moving away from the dollar, learning settlement on a new digital yuan that could very well become a digital BRICS currency that could very well be pegged on a distributed ledger. It won't be convertible because De Gaulle from France proved that convertible currencies convert, but will be pegged using distributed ledger technology by the largest importers, producers, and owners of gold in the world. And they will peg gold to a new distributed ledger technology and watch what happens to the dollar in a matter of moments. It's your great reset. Where all four pillars of wealth in this country simultaneously collapse, stocks, bonds, real estate, and the dollar. Now, I would like to ask you, am I off base? Am I smoking something? Or does this sound like something that is not only plausible, but maybe even it's happening? No, the sickest thing about it is, as I sit here and listen to you lay that out over the course of 10 minutes, the absolutely sickest thing is you can draw with a crayon from fucking point one to point two to point three to point four exactly how it makes sense. You know, and that's 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 the wildest thing about what you just said. I mean, there you have it. Right? There you have it. If that's and by the way, if that's not the leading if that's not the leading chain of events that, you know, uh, the most likely, if you're analyzing the situation and what you just laid out isn't the most likely on the top of your list of scenarios, not, oh, well, it'll happen, but the dollar will survive, you know, whatever. That's that's a different argument. But I'm just saying, you just summed it up. I mean, there you have it, right? So you get from where we are now, actually, you, you walk the clock back 10 years and get to where we're going. Uh, and it's, I mean, it would just be catastrophic. It would be unbelievable and it's not a stretch it doesn't feel like a stretch 
for something like that to well, happen. I, and by the way, all either. these bricks, all these brick nations, you know, one of the points that you left out was not only did they have all the gold, but if you bring, if you tie Saudi Arabia and Russia together, that's all the oil. Mm-hmm. That's it. Cause we're <laughs> yeah. not fucking producing it here. Right. That's all. That's, not, that's the world's oil supply. Not only that, it's all the rare earth metals. It's the majority of the fertilizer. What did Zoltan Pozar say? The former head of the, New York, one of the heads of the New York Fed, the repo market expert, he said, we have now entered uh, Bretton Woods 3, a system dominated by by commodities, not by debt instruments. And and so when you, and the, the question that I ask you, Chris, and the reason that I ask you these things is that you and I are, are we may be open to uh, ideas, but I mean, the Federal Reserve is supposed to have the best and the brightest. The people in this country are supposed to be running it; are supposed to be the best and the brightest. Yeah, we that may be debatable in terms of how quickly they sell out and they they do things that are counterintuitive. But you have to think the economists understood what would happen by weaponizing the dollar. Do they realize when you say we're thirty trillion in debt, that excludes? Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, oh, yeah, and government military pensions. You're 100 plus trillion on top of that. So do they realize we've gone too far down the rabbit hole? Did they try and find a villain? Because now it's not Janet Yellen's fault. It's not Ben Bernanke's fault. It's not Powell's fault. It's not Alan Greenspan's fault. It's, it's not any of the Treasury Secretary's fault. It's those sons of bitches in the BRICS nations that blew everything up. The way of life in this country was decimated out of out of actions by the BRICS nations. Well, I don't know. You tell me, because if they if they are that stupid, then they are leading us down a path by their actions that are only accelerating the demise of the dollar, the 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 incentivizing our foes to find a back door. Then it becomes mind boggling. So I wonder, and it's, was it intended or not? It's sick if you can't open your eyes and you don't see it now starting to happen right you go to the store there's nothing on the damn shelves right prices are starting to get out of control you notice prices are getting noticeably higher you know everything i went to the laundromat a couple days ago you know it was 450 to do a wash now it's 625 i'm like ah that's interesting sure glad like i'm you know well off enough that that's not crushing for me but i know it's crushing for other people i know that that fucks people's day up when it's they go 50%, in there percent right yeah it's it's, it's it's enormous right and so i don't know when the last time they raised it was but that's besides the point the point is if all you got to do is open your eyes look at u.s cities right now look at what's going on the political climate in this country the if this country doesn't very sharply return back to the principles it was founded on we are going to be in a lot of trouble and a situation that you describe here over the last 10 15 minutes i mean you already you know look man i live on 95 right i see 10,000 cars drive past my window every day 10 million cars right Business as usual is going on in the rest of the world. People are walking around, eating their ice cream, having a good time, drinking their beer, going to the mall, going from point A to point B. You know, and I can't help but see the signs when I walk around. You know, when you see, you know, the amount of people living on the lawn of federal buildings in Washington, D.C., I was just down there. 
the tent cities that are coming up. When you look at the state of a city like San Francisco, which has just completely collapsed into itself. I mean, over five years, San Francisco has gone from one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen to looking like a demilitarized zone. When you see the prices go up 20, 30, 40, 50% on things like your coffee, on things like, you know, your laundry. When you go to the store and there's nothing on the shelves, people just are going about their days, Andy, and they're just shrugging. You know, they're saying, ah, it'll get better. You know, this'll pass. And it's like, no, what if this is the beginning? What if this is the beginning and you're missing the signs? You know, and that's just... It's horrifying to think about. I just, you know, the the country needs to move in a different political direction very quickly uh, because we're we're making matters worse. We're accelerating the demise of the country every time we make a political decision. Uh, and and I don't I don't know. I mean, it's just it's horrifying and it's frightening to be honest with you. It's just that when you when you got to the end of that ten minute speech that you just gave. You know, I just thought to myself, wow, you know, it, it would be okay to be right. But, man, I really don't want to be right. Like, I really I really don't hope that happens because there's a real chance that it could. And it, and it would be real devastation, real devastation. Well, the two things that you just said, I do believe it is the beginning, and I hope I'm wrong. I said that in my presentation at Rick Rule's uh, symposium last week on, on the stage. I said, I hope I'm wrong because, you know, this is not a good thing at all. This is, this is everyone in this country who believes they are wealthy will be lowered to a common denominator in the face of massively increased interest rates. The only way you can have a great reset is to blow everything up at once. What is the common denominator in that equation? That everything of value in this country is inversely correlated to a rise in rates. What is the Fed reluctant to do? raise rates. What has happened by just raising rates a little bit? It's starting to crack. Look at the mortgage rates. What happens if rates really get tough like Paul Volcker did? What if it's beyond the control of the Fed to hold interest rates down? What if the rest of the world says, fuck you, I do not going to sell you my oil or my party favors or anything for your dollar that you are destroying because you have chosen inflation over austerity? And I'm not going to do it anymore. Who's buying our treasuries? Are we to believe that there's this wealthy entity in the Cayman Islands that's buying all our treasuries? Or is it a shell of the Fed? I mean, all of the things that are happening are, are truly frightening. And when you say is it just the beginning, why is it that things that are as important uh, as Saudi Arabia now being protected by Russia and we have the dollar hegemony by protecting Russia, why is that not mainstream? Why is the fact that the dollar has a new tier one brother or sister however you want to look at it, with gold uh, after 80 years of it just being U.S. dollars and treasuries. Why are these things not talked about? Why? And, and that's, you know, um, I, I don't quite understand. You know, I listen to guys, your buddy Peter Schiff, who I, I listen to every week. I think he's maybe the smartest economic mind around. I love him. Doesn't talk about this stuff. I wish he would. I wish other people would would chime in on Anything but the Federal Reserve and what their action or inaction is going to do, this micro-nonsense, and, and I, I, I mean nothing but the highest respect to Peter uh, in, in that I listen to him every single day and I use a lot of what he says, but I would love for someone of his mind to come in and talk about the ramifications of losing the World Reserve status, the possibility of it, and the likelihood that the Fed has no intention of doing the dirty work. But could it be that they knew that by flipping the switch, 
by by pushing Russia out of SWIFT, by blowing up assets to all-time highs inversely correlated to a rise in rates that all they had to do was find the villain. I don't know. Maybe I'm 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 stepping over that thin line between reality and and um you know some sort of a conspiracy. And I think there is a fine line there, but all I can tell you is simply this that I do believe that the Fed is a sideshow. I do believe that uh, we're in trouble. I do believe that the world is moving away from the dollar. I do believe that they are forming alliances globally that sidestep the dollar, trade routes, currency settlements, um, and military alliances um, uh, against the West. And when you look at who is the West, the European Union, the, the Canadians, the U.S., the Japanese, they're all broken and solvent. That's the common thread between them. They're all broken and solvent. And all of the world's commodities, the majority of them, those that are being produced and sold, lie in the BRICS nations. So, yeah, I think I think this is only getting going to get worse. And, and to your comment, how few people notice it because they're walking idly by, drinking their beer and eating their ice cream. I agree with you. I don't talk to anyone about this because the message is something no one wants to hear. You never get invited back to play golf with these guys or to, to a party if this is what you talk about. And I think most of the country is going to be caught off guard because most of the country has no idea these things are happening. And the horrible, horrible reporting by our, our media is not only aiding and abetting, but they are going to make what is a horrible situation markedly worse because most right. people believe that most people believe that they're doing very, very well in traditional assets and those traditional assets are square in the bullseye of of rising interest rates. And if this happens, it's over in, in a blink of an eye. Yeah. And uh you know, when I write about stuff like this, for me I'm just connecting the dots. I'm just I don't know. It just it looks like it looks to me. It's tough to it's tough to not fit it all into a pattern. And so it's just strange because you don't see what I think is not too far of a stretch in terms of drawing conclusions uh, out there at all. So when you send me an email like you did, you know, a week or two ago, just saying like, I completely agree with you on de-dollarization and nobody else is talking about it. You know, that's just, it's, it's great to hear. I mean, it's horrifying obviously, because I don't want that to be the case. I would take me and you being wrong any day of the so week. Um, but it's the unfortunate conclusion that seems to be the uh, the leading uh, choice when I look at the facts that I'm given, and that's that's all you can do. You can look at the facts as objectively as possible and, and try to analyze them. And so, you know, I don't know what the hell to make of it other than I feel like I need a drink right now. I don't know what to make of it either, Chris. And, I, and again, I, I say I agree with you. I hope I'm wrong. Take a step back and realize that if I am not wrong, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. I'm saying just look at the pieces and put, draw the crayon and tell me where it, where it points you. Put it all together. It sure looks to me like you're heading in that direction. And if I am right, are you prepared for it? Have you mitigated all your variable rate debt? Have you accumulated gold and silver? Have you prepared in any meaningful way? Because if you see a massive destruction of credit, as interest rates spike, you see empty food shelves uh, in the grocery store. If you, you know, these things are happen will happen. And I, Chris, I've never sold gold based upon fear ever in my entire career. I, I look at it as wealth, wealth that that 
has been viewed that way through all human civilization for 5,000 years. I own it because to me it's a substitute to the dollar and it's a way to hold money that, is, that isn't inflated away. But when, for the first time in my life, for the first time in my career, and for the last two years as I've been putting these together in all of the podcasts I do, I say this stuff. So this isn't something new for me. I've been saying this stuff and following what you've been talking about for two years now closely. People want to, to validate that. Go listen to any of the podcasts I've done. I talk this stuff incessantly. And I do think, unfortunately, this is the road we are being led down. And when you see actions of our administration, like sending Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan, you are only accelerating the speed at which this stuff happens. You yeah. don't do these things to your friends if you're your friends, well, obviously, evidently they're not our friends, and you don't do it to your enemies either to piss them off. You got to find a, a tight, you know, some sort of a of a middle ground. And the actions by our government continually are only accelerating the demise of the dollar. And I hope I'm wrong, Chris. But anyways, I appreciate the platform to be up, be able to talk about it with you because you're one of the few who seems to embrace it, even I... if it's not completely the way I draw it up. I think you make a really good point. You know, back in April, I wrote an article called Are We Missing Subtle Hints That China Wants World War III? And my recommendation at the end of the article was that not that we need to bow to China, but we need to realize the hand that we're holding and we need to uh, to de-escalate here. By and right. like you said, the opposite of de-escalating is sending Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan. And by the way, I don't even think they sent her. I think she just took it upon herself that she was going because, from what it sounded like, leading up to the trip, her and Biden were beefing over whether or not she should go over there. And it sounded like she just went. I mean, how do you go from sitting around here at home and being completely unproductive and you know day trading stocks with insider information to just one day <laughs> de- one day deciding you're gonna go you're you know you're gonna get on a flight and you're gonna go to possibly you know short of Ukraine the largest tinderbox on the face of the earth as it relates to you know US slash brick relations and just you know show up there and 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 you know shake the leaders hands and and let everybody know that you're going and so you know the the point of the article that I wrote was um I, I wrote here back in April you know I want to make it clear that we're we're acting as though we're still in a position of leverage when it's becoming clearer by the day that Russia, China, and India will soon have far more leverage than anybody would have ever thought on the global monetary stage. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, the revamping of the global economic system. And I'm trying to figure out where what I concluded here. I mean, I know what I concluded, but I want to read what I wrote. Um, yeah, okay. So, you know, China's UN representative said back in April that the collaboration may drag other parts of the world into conflicts such as Ukraine. I wrote, obviously these comments suggest to me that China is considering doing to Taiwan what Russia is doing to Ukraine. It shows that China feels emboldened by the new developing global economy and that all options appear to be on the table for them. It shows me that they recognize an attempted global collaboration that doesn't include them, uh, the same dynamic with NATO that may have unnerved Russia. And I write that this is where we start moving into precarious waters. If we try to respond to China with escalation, we take large steps down the path to World War III. It's only from voluntary de-escalation and acceptance that we have been monetarily bested that we will likely be able to make progress toward peace. I don't see the West doing that. We're too arrogant and too brainwashed to think we're holding the leverage when we aren't. 
So, you know, if our hopes of going forward are to have the world stage retain the balance of power it had prior to Russia invading Ukraine, then our expectations are extremely unreasonable. Given the major change in the global economy, a reasonable expectation would be to concede some economic ground to Russia and China because, in truth, they hold all of the productive capacity chips at the poker table. Right. So the point of that article was to, to avoid the situation that you're talking about. Right. We've seen, exactly right. We've seen the flop. We don't have a hand. We got a busted straight at best. Right. So let's just fucking muck our carts and just say, hey, you know, we welcome everybody on the same global economic stage and we don't have to bow and we don't have to kiss ass, but we got to get fucking real. We got to get real. Yeah, you don't you don't walk. The, you don't you know, you may be the toughest kid in the school, but you don't walk by the next two toughest kids in the school and flip them off. Right. As you walk by, you walk by with, you know, you can have respect even if you don't see the same the world the exact same way and you and you're exactly right we are we are antagonizing unnecessarily and you know it, it is um it, it it is something that if you put yourself in these other countries shoes imagine like russia as an example imagine if the ukraine was actually mexico and we were russia imagine if russia sanctioned all of our assets uh, froze all of our assets, sanctioned and, and took everything that we had in assets around the country, kicked us out of SWIFT, paid $90 billion to Mexico and gave intelligence, told them Stinger missiles and drones, and right. told them which American cities to bomb. Would that be a de- an escalation of war in this country? Hell yes, there'd be the rallying cry everywhere. Yep. You know, kill Russia, kill Russia. But people are so blinded by the, the stupidity of our leaders and this is just another another example. Sending her to Taiwan, whether it was of her own volition or not, she shouldn't have been allowed to go. <sighs> they should have, you know, the, the 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 Air Force should have dragged her ass back home, <laughs> because because all that is doing is escalating a situation that should be de-escalated. And the way that you wrote it, you're a fabulous writer. Is exactly right. I mean, it's a little bit of decorum. You know, it's right, like decorum. you just don't. Yeah, you know, that's exactly right, and it's respect. And even if it's respect in a matter of someone who, whom ultimately you don't respect the way they do many things, you have to respect their position on the world stage. Are we landing in Taipei? Yeah, we're landing in fucking Taipei. Get back in the back of the fucking airplane and have another martini. <laughs> all right, we're landing in Taipei, exactly. Taipei, California. We're gonna drag your ass back to your fucking uh, House of Representative uh, desk where you can sit and you know manage foreign affairs from there. You don't need to be in Taiwan. Oh, Christ. You're right. And, and think about that, Chris. Just think about that in, in the context of everything we've talked about today. And I, I, I find this cathartic, brother. I love talking to you, and I really do, and, and, and I'm always anxious to do it. But this in particular is what is I can't shake, and, and I love the way that you look at things. But in the, that light, think of how stupid that one move is in the light of global de-dollarization, in the light of challenging right. the dollar for hegemony. And who's behind the majority of it? China. And so to, to thumb, you know, give give them the way that we did by doing this is the is the ultimate act in stupidity and hubris. So yeah, oh, that's yeah, it's it's hubris and it's arrogance and it's acting based on feelings and emotion instead of examining facts. This is like when the coronavirus started to break as a major issue and she went parading around Chinatown. Now, you know, to, to prove, I don't know, that the virus wasn't a big deal, that she wasn't a racist, I don't really know. But, you know, in a vacuum, if you sit down and you ask anybody of any race, any gender, any color, any creed, any religion, any sexual orientation, in a vacuum, 
hey, we just found out, you know, there might be a virus that has originated in China and flights are still going back and forth here. Uh, and it may be on U.S. soil. Uh, should you or should you not take this time to go be a tourist in Chinatown? <laughs> fucking a thousand out of a thousand people are going to say, no, stay home. Don't go to Chinatown. In fact, Chinatown is the last place that I would go. Does, <coughs> does, it, does that make you a racist? No, it doesn't make you a racist. That makes you somebody that's examining the situation critically. You know, it's like, is it racist that Italian people are great at making pizza? No, they're just fucking great at making pizza. If a virus comes from China and it flies over to the U.S. on Chinese people, where should you probably stay away from? Where all the Chinese people are. But, you know, in her brain... She says, all right, that's racist, or it doesn't look good, or it's not inclusive, or it's, you know, division, or it's inequity. And so she goes on a walking tour of Chinatown. Fine. But that's the thought process. That's just, it's almost like finding the worst possible idea and then yeah. executing it. That, that's almost <laughs> what that thought process is. Get in the plane and go to Taiwan right in the middle of this whole thing, you know? Yeah, that's the point. And, that, and that's the point in everything that I'm saying is the incentivizing of the de-dollarization is rapidly growing. And, you know, and say what you want about President Trump, a lot of these things, most of these things wouldn't be happening. You would see an alliance between all of these nations of the world, not a, a further separation. So anyways, the bottom line is this, Chris, uh, I see the world very similarly to the way that you do, and I uh, applaud the way that you um, communicate to the world, and I think you're doing the world a great favor, and I I think more and more people need to hear about what you've been talking about for a while, because to me, the biggest thing facing all of us, all of our kids, the rest of our lives, is the fact that in a very globalized world, we are being more or less not invited to the party, and you can see the party list is rapidly growing, and uh, we represent but maybe 10% of the party or of the world, 90% of the world is going to the party and it doesn't look like we're part of it. And what does that mean? And I think what it means is a frightening thing. So keep yeah. up what you're doing, brother. I think it's very, very important. And I, for one of them, am a big fan. Thanks so much for coming on, Andy. Uh, I put your information, Miles Franklin, and uh, your email address, Andy at milesfranklin.com. If anybody wants to reach out to you, uh, sorry to blast that out over the airwaves, but I've kind of been making it tradition when you're on. Uh, that's all in my it's podcast okay, description, <laughs> so people could check that out. And uh, thank you so much for your time today, brother. Look forward to talking to you soon. Please stay well, Chris. I look forward to it. Our new website should be done by the end of the month, which will allow some online purchasing. But anyone give us a call. Send me an email. We'll make sure you get the best price in the country. Mention Chris. Uh, the Chris Irons podcast, uh, Quote the Raven, and uh, I will make sure that uh, you get my special attention. So, Chris, again, thank you, brother. Stay well. Call anytime, and I'll look forward to picking up where we left off. All right. Thanks so much. That was the one, the only Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin Precious Metal Investments. Good friend of mine, and not just because he kisses my ass, although I do appreciate that. <laughs> Sadly, I think he's right also. And so uh, it's a somber moment. We'll have a five-second moment of silence here. And now we'll go find the bottle of whiskey. I'm out of here, fools. Peace.